Hi, so this is the Q and Ask podcast. Um, it's Kevin Brittingham here with Ethan Lassard, and we interviewed Dave Matheny, uh, the founder of Silencer Shop, who's the largest distributor of silencers in America, and has, um, I don't know, what the hell's he done? A lot of cool stuff. Half the Form 4s last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, he's he's really attacked kind of all the, the, the paperwork aspect and trying to make silencer purchasing easier. Um, kiosks. Yeah, the kiosk is a great example right now, which is incredible. Like, I thought that was so ambitious. I didn't think it would work. And now I see every 60-year-old guy that's on the Internet saying, oh, my God, it was so easy. I went into a retail shop and bought silencer using the kiosk. Um, but it's pretty cool because he did it based on his terrible experience of buying his first couple silencers. Um, Dave's a funny guy. I like Dave. It was a short episode, but it was real good. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was. He's got a ton of knowledge. I mean, remember first time I went to visit him a few years ago, he had $10 million in silencers and in inventory. Um, so he sold a lot of silencers. Is that what he said? Fifty percent of the Form Fours last year went through Silencer Shop. Yep. Yeah, that's incredible. That is incredible. Um, what do you think was interesting about the podcast or Silencer Shop? And, and we just got back from the NRA show, which we were in their booth. Yeah. The process that they had to go through to get the kiosks approved, not only by the ATF, but also FBI for finger, fingerprints. <laughs> so ambitious. <laughs> yeah, what they have to. Me. He, they bought, um, what, they have to submit the printers or something to the they FBI? They had to submit the printers, the scanners, um, the software. Yeah. It, it seems too much to overcome, but he did it. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> they, did, they did a great job. Everyone else interested in silencers my entire career have been focused on the product, the hardware, um, you know, sound reduction, this and that. And it doesn't seem to interest him at all. I mean, I know I don't think I brought it up in the podcast, but offered to make them OEM silencers at some point in, in the past and other companies had already offered him that. And he has no interest in it. No, it's just uh, the facilitating getting the silencers from the distributor or from the manufacturer to the hands of the customer is all he's interested in and making that process easy, which is awesome because he's really the only guy doing that. Yeah, he's only he's the only guy with that skill that's interested in these things, or at least has come, yeah. <laughs> at least come up publicly and said it. Yeah, and, and has been able to profit from it, and that's awesome. You know, he's someone I don't mind. You know, some of the distributors, because we give up such a margin going through distribution, you know, you second guess, oh, my God, is this worth it? But with him, it it seems totally worth it because I, I think solely because of Dave Matheny that silencers are much more prolific and our customer base is so much broader than it would have been. I mean, he just really accelerated everything, um, in my opinion, to where everyone now is owning silencers, hunts with them. They're viewed differently. Um that's pretty cool. And he lets us drink in his storefront. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, also, guys, for the, I don't know, the next six months or so, uh, or, or maybe forever now, we've fallen in love with Austin, where Dave is. He worked for a tech company there. And uh, Ethan and I go to Silencer Shop storefront once a month. 
and uh, hang out for the weekend, and we offer a promotion. Generally, give away a honey badger or something. Sell silencers in the shop, and it's a great time. Yeah, people bring us beer in the shop. Yeah. We're gonna cook out. I think this time something. Oh, that'll be fun. Cook out. So, what was that? May May twenty fifth. We'll be there. Was that a Friday or Saturday? Yeah. Friday the twenty fifth. Okay, so May twenty uh, fifth, a Friday. Ethan and I'll be back there in Austin. Um, at silencer shop we should go by the chive we'll see we should sneak in I, I was listening to one of their podcasts and they said at their place in California Venice one day that they were uh, he says who's the old guy that's here he's like drinking beer at the bar and it was somebody who had snuck into the place and they just let him stay because he snuck in maybe we should try that at their mansion it's getting warm out might be chive girls in bikinis it's too hot to be outside <laughs> So this is um, the Q and Ask or Ask podcast. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is like number 10, actually. We haven't published as many, but we did. We've done a lot. Um, so today is with Ethan Wassard and Dave Matheny of Silencer Shop. Um, you're the founder, I believe. That's right. Yeah. How are you doing? Good. How'd you break your ankle? Skiing. <laughs> It's so funny because you're like seven feet tall that you ski. Yeah, and I suck at it, obviously, but that's okay. It's still well, fun. Better than Sonny Bono. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, how did you... What's your, your background before Silencer Shop? You know, I, I, was, I spent 20 years as a software engineer just writing code. And that's a... That was basically my whole adult life until Silencer Shop. When did you come to Austin? I assume there's so much tech here. That's how you came. Yeah, I, tra- I transferred here with Intel in 2002. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, just came for work. Yeah. So when? Well, when did you buy your first silencer? Yeah, I bought my first silencer from Major Malfunction in probably 20 yeah, right. 2009, maybe. Okay. Okay, so recently. Yeah, it really wasn't that long ago. And I got it when my, my son, who you just met, yeah. is a, I mean, he's 100% deaf in his left ear. And he's a... I just got it purely for hearing protection from him. Yeah, that, that was my motivation. Oh. Okay, well, um, so how long before you started Silencer Shop after that? And why did you leave your day job doing code? You know, my intention was never to leave my job. <laughs> I thought this was just going to be a side thing. The same thing with me with Advanced Armor. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's like it just ex- kind of exploded. But it's a, I worked two jobs. I, I actually, from the time I bought that silencer to the time I started silencer shop was only like a year. Yeah. And oh, at that wow. time, I bought, I bought two silencers and both of them are an absolute disaster. What were they? One, the first one was the M4 2000. second was Prodigy. So... Oh. <laughs> So that was a disaster? The, the process. Oh, the oh. process. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thanks for the clarification. Yeah, no, no, no. I thought, I thought this was about to be a battle royale. <laughs> no, no. It was a... It, both are great cans. I still have them both, but there's a first one. The guy who did the transfer went out of business right as I was getting approved. Oh, and I literally oh. I had to hunt that guy down, go to his house, called. I almost didn't get it. Yeah. And the second one I bought at a local gun shop... And man, they wouldn't help me with the paperwork. Wouldn't wouldn't walk me through anything. It was like they just even when I got an error letter, they're like, I don't know. 
So I, I just thought, you know, I'll just do transfers for the local area. That was my intention. I did not intend it to be what it has become. Oh, you just wanted to make the process for your yeah. for local guys easier That's to right. do it. Because there is still so much ignorance with the process of, with, with retailers and stuff of buying silencers. That's right. Okay. So, um, well, well, starting silencer shop, start from there. Like, ex- explain how that grew and then I mean you guys have been a huge influencer obviously with the kiosk and that kind of stuff so sort of walk through that if you don't mind well when I I first started I thought once again I'm just going to do transfers I actually I set up a website thought I'm just going to do transfers and sell cans here locally and uh, since I was still working a full time job at VMware at the time um, I I wrote software to kind of automate a lot of the stuff for me right to kind of try to generate the paperwork and get stuff submitted and what I found is it it allowed me to scale faster than anybody else could scale and within a year I was to a point where I had to quit my job because I couldn't do both at the same time yeah and silencers made more sense at that point like you were making more money then or you were betting on the future no I was making more money then even silencer shop it really it took off from the very beginning yeah it was a good timing it when was. you started that actually I believe um, yeah that was really good timing because I know it's about the time that I sold to Remington it was just at that exact time yeah and, and the market was huge but to put things in perspective then like advanced armament was many times larger than silencer co when I sold and we were the majority of, of the business and how quickly that changed after yeah so just kind of fell apart yeah yeah <laughs> that will um okay so, so so after you automated paperwork for yourself then then what what'd you do there like the thing that i became aware of with silencer shop is where you could do the mail your 4473 and people in texas wouldn't even have to come to your shop to pick up their silencer that's right and that's what we always tried to automate it for, for ourselves and our, really we always thought if we can automate the back end process we can spend more time talking to customers yeah right and then you know we would do stuff like automating the, the mailing the cans to customers we did a lot of stuff like that just to kind of try to make it simpler a guy in Houston buys a can he doesn't want to drive to Austin well, right well how, how'd you do that what'd you do just think of this and then you look in the regs and you send ATF a letter or how'd that happen no I looked in the regs and saw it was possible and just did it and then it's uh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> that's, that's and then the local, the, the ATF in a in San Antonio called, and you know we kind of went through it with them, and they completely agreed. But I let them call me instead of the other way around. Yeah, it it seems like in, in my history I've not been as proactive with that sort of stuff with ATF as you. But um, anytime that I've asked ATF anything. It's like asking your parents things when you're teenagers automatically know. Yeah. And to what and then you ask, well, in your regs, blah, blah, blah. Well, we don't think. Yeah. Well, I think it, in this industry, and I think the gun industry in general, people have that mindset of they always want to go for an interpretation. Yeah. Right? It's similar to religion, right? It's like everybody wants to interpret something differently and you get too many people asking the same question over and over and over. And it just becomes easier for ATF to say no, yeah. even if it's completely allowed. Look at the SIG brace. Everybody wants a letter, you know, and you, you get everybody sending a letter for the exact same thing. And the ATF finally just says, screw this, no. 
Then they, of course they had to reverse it, but they're like, yeah, well, yeah, it kind of sucks. And one problem with the, I assume all regulatory agencies are the same, but where they didn't issue like a ruling, they give then they just give an opinion letter. Yeah, and it can it's not binding anyway. Yeah, yeah. It, and it cripples an industry or, or a company or commerce or whatever, and then they offer another opinion letter and. Uh, yeah, it's very confusing, and yeah, them having the ability to just like seize all your stuff and all makes everyone very nervous. And for the most part, the guys at the ATF are good guys. Yeah, right. But still, it's like they just get so many letters and so many requests that it just I don't know if I'd be any different in their shoes, honestly. If but yeah, um, it is. It is. There, a lot of that is very confusing and doesn't make sense. So, so that's interesting. So from there, which was shocking to me, one thing when you guys kind of you stopped doing retail stuff, right? Yeah, and that the main at the time when we stopped doing it, about sixty percent of our sales were in Texas, and our Texas business was was really healthy, and we were kind of looking at the rest of the country at a way to kind of expand what we had been doing previously with Silencer Shop Direct, where, where a customer could buy from us, then just walk into his local dealer, pick it up, no transfer fees, nothing like that. And that, that was our motivation. And then also, you know, dealers being able to sell out of our inventory, always having stuff in stock, and it's worked out really well for us. Yeah. People can still walk into our store and buy stuff, but then they go pick it up at at a, at a dealer by their house. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so you normally don't, you, you don't, do you do Form 4s now? For anyone in, in your area? Yeah, we'll do form fours. We actually do transfers through our store. Yeah, I noticed that yesterday just for handguns. For handguns and silencers. Yeah. So if you buy a silencer at a competitor, people transfer them into us all the time just because they want us to do the paperwork. <laughs> and, you know, we charge 50 bucks and do all the forms and perfect. It's like, heck, you know, whatever, you know, be kind of be a good player in the market, I guess. Yeah. No, I think it makes sense. I mean, for me, you get... You guys are so service oriented. You get someone to come into your store any way you can. Yeah. You're probably going to get business from them eventually, I would say. I mean, the experiences that I've had being in your shop, doing events like yesterday. Um, it's a place I would want to go to. Everyone's super helpful and takes care of everything for the customer. And that's what, man, I would rather hire a guy that's a nice person than somebody who's a kind of expert. It's like, because you can learn a lot of the gun stuff, especially silencers, but man, being a nice guy is harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's been a, yeah, there's not been a ton of that retail gun stuff in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I think the stereotypes, you know, when I was a kid, you go into a gun store and some grumpy old man works in there and doesn't want you touching anything. <laughs> That's right. The smoky old gun shop. Right? Yeah. What, um, okay. So, so tell me. Walk me through the, the kiosk. How did that, how'd you come up with that? How'd that come to be? What were all the hurdles? Like, I'm still shocked by it as far as the fingerprints and everything that you were able to to get that allowed. Like, what's what's the situation with that? You know, that was, uh, Obama signed that executive order, kind of putting it into effect in January of, I guess, 2016 now. And, uh... And we were sitting there looking at that thinking, okay, we can kind of continue business as usual, which our business was doing great at the time. But you could kind of see that people buying online and then transferring to a local store was going to was gonna take a hit. Yeah. Because there was so much more involved in the paperwork post-41F. So that first month after that executive order was signed, we were kind of churning. We kind of came up with the idea of the kiosk. And then we sat down and 100% developed, built, 
did all the software, had it completely ready to go by July. We were like, we were working. That's unbelievable. 15, 16 hour days, seven days a week. It was a ton of work to get that thing out, the first revision. Well, how did you get them to accept the fingerprint process? We actually, we didn't really work with the NFA other than kind of notifying them. We worked with the FBI. Yeah. So what we were looking at was making sure that everything we were doing was legitimate with the FBI. So like even the printers we have, about a month after we started the kiosk, we started buying printers and we got pretty high end printers because we print so much and actually had one sitting at the FBI for certification for about six months because part of the, the entire, when you do the uh, digital fingerprinting, mm-hmm. the entire stack has to be certified from the fingerprint printer, the scanner itself, all the software, and then the printer that's used to print. So did you go with a scanner that they... FBI yeah, already certified. It's FBI certified, certified scanner. To, okay, so you didn't have to submit that. That's right. But the software and the printer, we had to certify it all together with the scanners. Okay, it's so the this, entire stack has to be certified as one unit. The software, did you develop that, or was that an off-the-shelf? The the software we worked with a third-party company for the actual software for the fingerprinting and the rest yeah. of what we wrote in-house. Oh, that's so cool. And and you source the construction and assembly of. With the kiosk. That is done by a company in California. So... That's so neat. Yeah, I mean, really, and, and those guys are great guys that are super awesome to work with. But it's, uh, yeah, it, man, I tell you, it, it was a pretty, uh, it's a pretty accelerated project. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so ambitious. I mean, well, when you're looking at not having any more business, potentially, I mean, it's a great motivator. But yeah, yeah. I mean, to me... You know, owning companies most of my life and developing projects and seeing something like that. I mean, the first part to me is the out-of-the-box thinking I admire. But every asshole comes up with a great idea, but the execution is always the difficult part. But And then you execute this, which is amazing to me, but then convincing gun stores. So, so what was that like? You know, that was the, the first... 300 that we built yeah we knew that this would never work unless we had a network where everybody had one semi close to their house and we were thinking within 50 miles yeah for the first run so the first 300 we built we built and literally gave them away to 300 gun stores it was like by the time it was all said and done we spent a couple million dollars on it yeah but then once we got those first 300 out and had a network set up from that point, you've got something where customers are asking for it, gun stores to get them, sell more silencers. Yeah. So you've got them people coming to us, and we basically sell them at our cost. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, I mean, to me, when I heard that yesterday, I thought you guys were placing them in gun stores still. And when I heard that, that to me, understanding the business pretty well, that is a huge success. And, and, and to me, probably a great indicator for the future that's going to continue to be successful when you have gun stores that are willing to buy them to do it. Mm-hmm. And it works great for the gun stores, too, because a lot of people will come in with their pre-41F trust with themselves, their wife, and their brother in Oklahoma. Yeah. Right? So you've got a... You know, him and his wife will come in and do everything right there, but the brother in Oklahoma never submits his stuff. So with the kiosk network, he can go to any kiosk, walk in, scan his stuff, spend five minutes submitting everything, and then his paperwork can go to the ATF instead of being held up forever. That's awesome. So. Yeah. Where do you see that? um, How many kiosks do you have in stores now? Right now, we have about 500. What's your goal? You know, I, I think... 
looking at the normal gun shops, I think we'll probably hit about a thousand. Yeah. So I think once you start getting into like bigger chains, we can go pretty significantly beyond that. Yeah. But I think you'll hit this kind of saturation point. Yeah. Where you know to have one on every corner probably isn't isn't going to make sense. Yeah, big box could be a that's right could be a thing, and that's where it probably make the most sense because. Yeah, you probably have the, the least educated of the employees of those, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I see big box. Some of the big box are, are selling silencers. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, what, 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 do you see an evolution of the kiosk? Or Oh, yeah. we're on Right now, we're on revision three. So we've moved. The first ones had the credit card swiper on them. That's yeah. gone now. We've got the, they're all the, the um, 2D barcodes now, which works way better. Oh, yeah. Um, we're actually evolving the fingerprint software to our own software this year. Oh. So, it's, uh, so it'll be more integrated, right? I mean, it's, it, it's evolved. The software on it has been evolving constantly. Yeah. We, do, we do upgrades all the time. Sure. But the hardware is evolving with it, too. Well, um, I don't see advertising on them yet. You know, no. And that's, <laughs> that's been on our list. We've just been so busy. It's yeah. uh, There are a lot of things like that that we have that we need to execute on better advertising on the kiosk for example yeah. heck we could target it to the specific store region yeah. whatever right and we're yeah, all set up to do it we just haven't done it yeah is it gonna the kiosk is it gonna expand beyond do you see it maybe expanding beyond silencers and it being a way to purchase guns on it have them delivered like what's yeah absolutely I think yeah, first of all we do anything NFA already yeah so it's a okay. uh, Silencers, SBRs, machine guns, AWs, we cover we cover all that. Okay. It's a you know, as far as the firearms and stuff, we just integrated a forty four seventy three application into it. Okay. And I think I think it's the best forty four seventy three application in the in the industry. Wow, what's it do? Uh, basically we can just the way we tie that together with our back end software, yeah. You can uh, in our store with two people working in the front of the store we can dispose 70 cans an hour with background checks. They're, uh, Seriously. And, and, and we do it more error-free yeah. than most of the big stores. Instead of relying on software automation, they rely on four guys looking at the form. Yeah. Right? And we can we do everything from geocode matching of the, of the addresses to... And we scan the driver's license to make sure everything's right that was entered. We, we do a lot of validation of those things. It's so cool for me to be in this for so long to see someone like you, you know, heavily invested in the innovation on that side, which has become a long time ago a bottleneck and a hindrance for silencer ownership, in my opinion. Um, that's so cool. Well, I'm excited about that. Um, Let's talk about what do you see? So it, it's been an interesting few years where oh, you yeah. have these huge spikes and, and then drop offs. Yeah. And so, like chicken and feathers or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, business, what sucked pretty bad last year, I guess. Last year was rough. It started in the fall of right, right, probably within a month after Trump got elected, it became clear that it was going to be a hard time. Yeah. So, what do you attribute it all to? You know, I, I think a big piece of it was the the run up to forty one F. Yep. Paid a huge part of it. Then there was a everybody expected a slump after that. At least we did. Yeah. There's a and then you've got Hillary. Everybody everybody knew one hundred percent sure that Hillary was going to get elected. 
right up until <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying yeah, so far. Right up until election night. You know? Yeah. Oh, well, I fell asleep at like whatever eleven o'clock. Yeah. And uh, me and the kids are on the couch. We fell asleep watching it, thinking yeah. Hillary's going to be president. Absolutely. <laughs> I wake up at like two in the morning and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Same here. It's like yeah. it was an absolute shocker. But then yeah. we expected a drop off. It didn't really materialize then because it was already low. Yeah. But then, you know, within a couple of weeks, people started talking about HPA. HPA, first 100 days. Who started that? You know, it's hard to say. Now you've got everybody pointing the finger at everybody else. Yeah. Right? So I'm not bringing up anybody's <laughs> specifically. You're so nice. So nice. But that, I, mean, I think that really, we've had, we had during that year, more people saying, oh, I'll just wait because... I'll just buy it, you know, when they're when they're available. Yeah, I know one of your top brands, um, and, and I won't name names, but I'm, I'm friends with one of the guys, and uh, he told me their business was off ninety percent last year, yeah, which is huge. And I tell you, as much as I hated it too, especially starting a new company and the projections that we had for silencers, and that was in the toilet. Um, and I thought, well, if we can hold on, because mm-hmm. I know we have better product. The, you know, and technology than Silencer Co. And they own so much of the market from the marketing and um, the the last 10 years, not quite 10 years, but, um, you know, after we left AAC and Silencer Co. became the, the, the main company, it's like, well, they're going to go out of business. It's going to open up a lot of, uh, of space. It doesn't look like they've gone out of business no. yet, but they're definitely not... 50 to 70 percent of the sales in the market like they used to be that's right i mean their their overall percentages has come down yeah um yeah so for me it was just focus on innovation and when the market bounces back and i thought it would be you know a year and a half ago or whatever that was i thought it would be january of this year and it looks like i was off by a couple months but it really does seem to be coming back pretty yeah that's in october this when it picked up for us last october when Paul Ryan got on TV and said, you know what, we're not even going to vote on HPA. And it's a, I am not kidding, that exact day, that day. our phones lit up. And that, the, the 30 days after that were nearly triple the volume from the 30 days before it. That's I mean, it's like, but we had so much inventory that it didn't really translate to manufacturers for a couple months. Yeah. Right? It's a, but man, I tell you, and it's, this year has been, just rock solid. It's, yeah, it's well, been a great year. I saw the first thing I noticed when I when I walked in your vault yesterday, compared to times previous, is yeah, they were you're out of some stuff. Oh yeah, there, there's empty space in there. That's right. And you know the other thing that's contributed, that's been great for this industry, is the NFA switching everything to the, the, the form threes being nearly instantaneous. Yeah, now. that's been a big help. So we don't have to hold inventory for very long from the time it's sold. We used to have to hold it for 30 to yeah. 60 days. I mean, I know my goal eventually, and you and I talked about this in the past, would be, you know, for you to never have inventory of our stuff that we we drop ship to your dealers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, in and, and, and some ways that's more difficult for us, but in a lot of ways that's better for the customer. It is. Now it's not quite as critical with Form 3s being instant, but, you know, when they were taking 60 days, it, it's a disservice to the customer. It's like, you got a guy who wants one of our silencers, let me work with you to just drop ship to the dealer so that it gets to the customer sooner. And it's impossible. Man, I tell you, managing inventory when ATF wait times are fluctuating... Because they go up to 90 days, 
and you're sitting there, you start ordering for that 90 day wait, then overnight they drop from 90 days to a week. And then we get like two months worth of inventory overnight. (laughs) Yeah. What happens? Why why is that? What's the fluctuation? Yeah, I think the NFA, traditionally speaking, they would basically move all their examiners around to different forms. It's like, okay, form threes are getting behind, move everybody to form threes. Form fours are getting behind, move everybody to form fours. I see. So then they, they, they work them down really fast, but man, I tell you, that throws it it absolute mess for managing inventory. Because I tell you, we were part of some pilot program 12 or 15 years ago, it seems, where it was going to be instant form threes, you know, which would make sense. Like we would log into a central system. We would have a silencer registered already on a, on a form two. Is, is that what we yeah. form yeah. two? And then we would just, you know, it's going to go to silencer shop, press the button. It's instantly transferred. We ship it that day. And um, I think they ended up saying they couldn't get the final to, to make it happen, but that seemed like it was going to make so much sense. It was interesting. I mean, I look back 20 years ago when I was doing this, and uh, Form 3s were 30 days, and Form 4s were 60 to 90 days. And now you look, we're getting instant Form 3s, and we've got six months to, what, 12 months yeah, form fours. Six, eight months on form four. Right and now. twenty and people don't realize twenty years ago and they're still working on like microfish or whatever then. Yeah. They didn't even have it on computer. You would get a form four in sixty to ninety days. Yeah. And, and now like we're excited about ninety days twenty or twenty five years later, which is ridiculous. You know, the first when silencershop.com when we first put that website up, I had a note on there, if your form hits four months, something's wrong. Yeah. And it's like because they never went past four months. Yeah. It's a, that was kind of the hard stop. Yeah. Wow, did that change? The only time I saw Form 4s really spike and take a long time was um, at the... Crime Bill. Crime Bill, yeah, Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, when was that, 94, 94. 94 like Form 4s for, for that period of a year were like nine months or something, and people panicked. But now, it's got a year ago, people would have been excited to get their form in nine months. Yeah. And it's just so silly when you think about efficiency. And here we are 20 years later, and now they have all the stuff on computers, and it's still, it's it's taking that long. It's I mean, it's really inexcusable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, mean, I guess that's another thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I know you know all the ins and outs better than me, but if the money, 200 bucks, didn't go to a general fund and it went to ATF to where they could... You know, be more efficient. Oh, the 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 revenue that they could collect if Form Fours took a week, um, you know, or were instant, for that matter. Oh yeah. my Lord, the revenue would be huge for the two hundred dollar tax. Oh yeah. Um. So that's ridiculous. Well, what do you see? Um. What What other questions did I have for you? Um. What do you want? You, anything you want to bring up or say before I look at my little list of questions? <laughs> no, I have for you? good. No, no, nothing. Oh. How old are you? Uh, it's like I'm seventy with this stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. Success. Well, what do you think have been the biggest successes for Silence or Shot? Like from an outside perspective, I've named some. What do you think? You know, I, I think the the last couple years post forty one F. And honestly, we were already doing it pre-41F, but our, our focus really kind of has shifted to what we do best, and I think that is getting paperwork submitted efficiently. Yeah. And I think the... It's uh, a huge service to all the manufacturers and consumers, yes, definitely. And I, and I was kind of proud last year, even with the downturn in the market, we submitted 
almost exactly half of all the form fours that went to the NFA last year based on the NFA's own numbers. Wow. So it's a, and I, like I said, I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah. You know? Now just monetize that. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. That's wonderful. Yeah. And now with the, with the barcode stuff, which, you know, I, I, I think that kind of opened the ATS eyes to what's possible as far as efficiency. Not, And the barcode isn't the pinnacle of efficiency. It's just a step in the right direction. Right. Yeah. I, well, it is interesting. I think hopefully you're bringing awareness to ATF that, you know, they can have industry provide yes. the innovation for them and it can be legitimate and work out and be better for them. And, and, you know, and they don't have to do it all. Some of the guys there, like uh, I think Alfonso is, is very, very aware of that. Yeah. Yeah, he seems pretty sharp, actually. Scott Robertson, you know, he does a lot of the tech stuff for NFA branch. And for him, I mean, basically, we were sitting right there when he sat there and wrote the script that made, I shouldn't use the word script, but he, you know, he wrote the software that made the uh, instant form three approvals possible. Yeah. That should have been done years ago. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. um, What do you think, I'll ask you about some silencer companies. Why did um? Well, I don't guess AEC is dead. You still sell it, but absolutely, yeah, we do. Your baby. Well, my baby. <laughs> what do you think happened with, with AAC? Like it was the biggest company. I, I think when they when they got acquired, and I think this happens. You don't just see this in silencers. You see it in other other industries too. Yeah. When companies get acquired, they go through some crazy levels of churn, trying to figure out who do we let go, how do we market, where do we do our paperwork. And companies tend to fall apart. AAC, I mean, sheesh, if I remember right, it was like a year that they didn't even answer the phones when people would call them. And there was no warranty support, and they weren't shipping stuff. And But yet they would take payment up front, right? It's like you pay up front, they ship a year later. So they didn't change that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing business as usual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then you had other companies at the same time, like Soundstrico, yeah. kind of firing all cylinders. And it was just a, kind of a recipe for losing market share fast yeah it's it's hard to gain that back you know yeah um, once you come off that yeah yeah whether it's innovation or service or whatever is is really the i think the key element that makes you great like yeah once you stumble there it's not everybody gets what's that like robert downey jr story you know where he's like a crackhead and out of court has no work and all of a sudden does iron man's biggest movie star in the world yeah <laughs> it doesn't happen a bunch um so we covered all that stuff. Uh, explain that. Oh, so how did you become? So Dave is one of Amazon's top reviewers. <laughs> how did that happen? You know, that was an absolute accident too. <laughs> I, I wrote a just a couple of reviews, kind of. I, I don't even remember why. I think I'd written six reviews on products, and I got an email from Amazon saying, hey, do you want to join the buying program? And if it had been anybody but Amazon, I would have just ignored it. Yeah. I was like, yeah, cool, I'll review a free book, whatever. So the first month I'm in buying, I log in, and it's like, got like a $200 Logitech remote control, 100% free. Uh, man, this is awesome. So yeah. I started like doing just reviews in my spare time. I got up to being about reviewer number 50 on Amazon. Yeah. It's a... Uh, I think I thought fifty-two was the was the number I was at, but man, I was. It's it's actually kind of fun. Yeah. What are the benefits? You know, it's just a matter of just early access to products, and you know, it's kind of a I don't know pride thing, I guess. Yeah. You know, 
That's kind of maintains cool. like some people have their streaks on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I look at Amazon. Amazon. That's cool. That's cool. Do you um what else we ever ask you that? Asked you that. Um how how 300 Blackout changed silencers or silencer industry? I don't. That was about the time you got into yeah. this. So I don't even know if that's a good question. No, no. I, I tell you, I resisted 300 Blackout. Really? Yes, I did. Because even when I was selling silencers, because I'm just not a huge wildcat person. Yeah. I, I tend to be, I, I like to have, you go all cap in my shop, you'll see boxes of the same kind of ammo. Yeah. <laughs> right? I don't like to have a lot of variation. And I went out and got a 9-inch... Three in a blackout just to use as a demo gun. Mm-hmm. And man, I tell you what, that is just a awesome caliber. And w- with my kids, and I use the supersonic. Yeah. Man, I tell you, it's a great Texas deer round. Oh, yeah. It's a, I've I got, that's all the kids hunt with anymore. Modern 30 30. It absolutely is. And it's very little recoil. Even the supersonic suppresses great. Lightweight guns. I, I love them. Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, we did that at AAC, you know, commercializing Whisper, turning from a wildcat into a... I mean, I think we all saw Ethan, Robert Silvers, who we were working with at the time, a couple other guys, once we knew it'd be reliable in the AR. You know, I think we all saw 15 years ago that the AR was going to become more and more popular. But making it a legitimate hunting weapon... And how well it suppressed, and you could get subsonic to feed, um, and be reliable with the gun. But I mean, it's really way bigger than I even thought it would be. And, yeah. Uh, and I thought it would be huge. Uh, you know, it was an interesting thing. Before we did 300 blackout, and and you might not know this, or it might not be surprising to you. I don't know, but um, at Advanced Armament, we sold 5.56 silencers 10 to 1 over 30 caliber silencers. Is that right? Until 300 blackout happened. And now I assume it's probably flipped. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That and the 30 caliber silencers got really good like that time period. That was uh, yeah. The N6. Well, the STN6, they started good. targeting it almost at 5.56 users. Yeah. yeah. But STN6 was a popular can. Yeah. You, you know what's so funny about that? There's like all the stories about silencers, and, and I love doing like the podcast or. Uh, coming to your shop and doing the, the like the in-store things because people ask me stuff that I forget th- that we've been involved in but the SDN6 happened because well, I don't even really remember but it was it's, it's called the N6 because it was for the Navy and they named it that for the 417 yeah for the 417 but I forget why so it was the 762 SD but we cut about an inch off of it for some reason do you remember why well no, well, no, you're thinking of when we did the 9-inch barrel. The reason why we ended up with the 9-inch barrel is because that was the same length as their 416 with the M4-2000. So the N6 and the 9-inch barrel is the same length for the upper. Oh, I was thinking we had the 7.62 SD and the N6 was shorter. It's shorter. It has more baffles. It's it's more like an it's a longer M4. It's more of a longer M4 2000 than it was a shorter 7.62 SD. But what I don't why did we do that? Because we're trying to make make the make same the, length. Well, no, we're trying to make the 417 run. 
Oh, yeah. So we made like six different silencers, and that's the one that picked. That's the one they picked. That's right, because yeah. we just went and cut. Right. Yeah. And that's how we, and basically that length drove the nine inch barrel development because they wanted that to That was the silencer that they had with that. It was like the four. That's right. That's how it happened. There's all these weird things. Like you talk about, <laughs> that was an accident that I started doing. Yeah, it was an accident that started this, and it was like, well, can you do this? Yeah, because then we put the little ratchet thing on it and all the stuff. And that, that silencer was all in canal, I think. Yeah, it was, yeah. Just, it was, a, it was, I think, two baffles longer than an M4 2000 is what it ended up being. Yeah, that was a good, it, it, it's heavy by today's standards, but that silencer was kick-ass. Before the SDN6 in our vault, we tried to, we, you know, tried to keep everything together. It's like you've got all one model, you kind of keep them together so yeah. you could find them. And I tell you, you go back there and we just have hundreds and hundreds of SDN6s all right there together. We completely switched to a random storage system because of the N6. Really? Yeah, if you walk into the vault now, we try to mix it up as much as we can. Because you, you look at any given shelf, and you say, okay, I want the oh, El Camino. It, the El Camino. Fine. Exactly. They, yeah, they, they stand out read there. all the numbers. That's right. You don't think about that until you have $10 million in silencer inventory on the shelves. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. What, um, well, you know, with, with, with Silencer Co., we talked about that. Um, you know, a couple of the guys that I admire who, who have gone on and started their companies, um, you know, Mike Pappas and Henry Graham, so with Dead Air and Rugged, which are brands that I like and products that I like, and those guys are cool. So they departed or were tossed out of Silencer Co., I guess, depending on the story or the individual, um, and then started their own again. Why do you think they're successful? You know, I think both those guys are just super nice, super smart guys. Yeah. I think they get this industry, both of them. Yeah. You know, it's funny because they're so, at least in my opinion, almost opposite personalities. <laughs> yeah, but but a, they both are sweet, really yeah, nice yeah, guys. They, yeah. they really both are, and I think people like them. Mm -hmm. they, they have good ideas, they make great products. It's a, I, I think they were gonna be successful no matter where they landed. Yeah. So I, I'm happy for both of them. Yeah, me too. And I, I tell them people ask me, um, you know, other other companies and products, silencers that I like. Both of those are good. Um, you know, Henry has such a great eye. I think uh, you, you know, I I love the way all of his silencers look. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, the performance is great with a lot of you know their products. Um, so yeah, I've been happy to see them succeed as well. Um, well, what's, I don't know, what's a couple other random things? Any silencers? <laughs> is there a silencer that surprises you that it's not more successful? You know, I, I, I'll say the, uh, I, I mentioned to you earlier that Erector is probably my, my favorite 22 oh, yeah. game right now. Yeah. And I think, and I get real super excited about it. People ask me, what should I get? Well, that's the one I recommend. It's like the can. It's like the go-to for everything, right? Yeah. And people look at it, and I think they're, it just looks enough different from everything else out there that I think there's a, a little bit of a hesitancy. You know what I'm saying? I, and yeah. I, I think the market will overcome that, but they just... Well, I think, well, thank you. I think the innovation's there. I do think it's an ugly silencer, but it's sort of form and function, you know? Yeah, well, Like, yeah. the goal with that, and, and that was, that, that silencer took a very long time, and it's very difficult 
Um, and I see a couple of the small garage shops knocking it off now. And they're not going to have success because just using wrench flats to take the baffles apart, they'll end up destroying it or they'll have to make it out of stainless, which will be very heavy. Um, but to get them to align, like we've shot it with 18 baffles, which is ridiculously long. I don't know if we've ever shot with more than that. But um, to test alignment. So getting, stacking all those threads up and getting alignment is very difficult. So guys have problems with that. And then most intellectual property with that, the ugly part of it, the kind of um, lightsaber looking part on the outside is so the tools that come with it. So you can, if someone torques it together too tight or they shoot a lot of rounds through it and don't clean it and it gets stuck together, they have, uh, there's tools that you can unlock the baffles without crushing the tube which you can't do with a with a wrench um and you know we wanted i wanted a silencer my goal is to always what i'm striving towards with design is that we put silencers on guns and you don't notice them so you know where i really like the little oculus and the mask from rugged and dead air but there's over six ounce silencers for a 22 and they're going to last you forever and they're both very quiet and they're great cans but you know, I wanted one that weighed an ounce and a half. Right. And so I think that's sort of the beauty of this. Like maybe, you know, I talked about maybe it should have been black and it would be easier to accept, but I think it's ugly and it looks different. Oh man. And we've not done a good job of explaining it, I think so far. So a lot of people, and I still think so many of the, the silencer buyers are still first time. Mm -hmm. Like it's their first silencer. Oh yeah. This is a tiny market. Yeah. It's a, and it's growing so fast, Mm -hmm. but it is a small market. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. I mean, we're going to bring a pistol version of that to market, and that's something we're talking about, doing it in black and not the clear-end eyes. You know, and it's hard for us, like, staying true to what's the best design. I think clear hard coat is the best, but if it is super ugly, you know, maybe we look at that with the pistol version of Rector, and it's got to be black or a a more standard color. Um, But I think eventually people will come around to it. You know, you see the trend with, I mean, the Tyrant 9mm is the best and quietest 9mm pistol can there was. And AAC, for some reason, stopped making it. And then they make the modular, which they may be too late for that. But modular has become, over the last five years, basically making a can bigger and heavier and putting it in two pieces. Yeah. And to me, that's just like such a lazy way to do it. And uh, sort of the beauty of the erector being able to, you know, look, I got just like you, I can have any 22 silencer I want. And at my house, I have a, a 22 pistol downstairs um, to shoot vermin in the yard. That's and right. it's, got an, it's got an erector with seven or eight baffles on it because I live in a uh, kind of a densely populated area like you do. And, um, and then upstairs at my bedroom window, I have a rifle and it's only got about four baffles on it because it's all you need to be quiet with a 22. Yep. Um, so that's pretty exciting. No, I love that can. I on it personally, I love the look of it. But I think it's kind of I always kind of equate it to a like a movie critic, right? The the movie critics they watch movies all day long and they start recommending the weird stuff. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. I, I don't want to go watch a weird movie. I want to watch a normal movie. Yeah. So I question myself sometimes. <laughs> that's why it appeals to me so much because it's different. It right? could be. Well, yeah, the different parts cool. And I I, I tell you, there was a, a a new guy came to work with us um, a week or two ago and. At QE, it's pretty family oriented, and kids are up there all the time. We have an arcade. Your wives can come by anytime. Um, you know, we just encourage it. Bring your dogs to work. Like, you know, just be respectful of everyone else, but do whatever the hell you want. 
And so a guy was, uh, the new guy was, we had a big order for erectors and we had to assemble, I think a few hundred of them. And his wife came with him and she started assembling some of them and like loved it. You know, it's cool because it's like Legos or this one's yeah. called the erector. You know, you can assemble them all. We've got fixtures and you torque them all together. But just the assembly that you can sit there and do it by hand it is interesting. Um, yeah, because generally you buy in the in the olden days, we'll call it, 22 silencers before they were in disassemblable. You get it and it's just a tube and you don't know what's inside of it. Yeah. You can't, you know, it's not like your gun. You couldn't take it apart and mess with it. And, um so that's kind of interesting. Uh, what what are you surprised by that's successful? Either that doesn't necessarily have to be a, a particular silencer. It could be, but a trend or whatever else in silencers. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think, I'm trying to think of, I guess to me, probably the most, and a lot of people will disagree with this, but probably the most damaging suppressors I think to this market are when you go too far down that do it all road so, yeah. so you get you know you get a and I'm not bring up any specific cans but you get like a 45 caliber can that man take this and shoot on your 5.56 and man I tell you it's just not a good idea and first time buyers that that's who buys them yeah right? then they come in and they buy one it's a do it all that this can will shoot on everything and they get them home and they're just not impressed with them because they're not quiet. They're yep. too big. They're too heavy. And I, I mean, I'm I'm all about some level of versatility, but I think you can, I think you can take it too far. And I think that trend, to me, I think will probably do more damage to this market than good. Personally, I think that. Yeah, I mean, you just hope that these guys have friends with silence. Yeah. Or but yeah, I agree. It it is interesting. Anybody that has no experience with silencers it seems like one of the most popular things they'll ask me oh i've got a 22 pistol and a 45 70 rifle and a 301 mag i want one you know a nine millimeter pistol um yeah it's it's a horrible idea and i'm all about you know buy that first one let it fit on you know get it to where it works on four or five guns whatever but i always say make sure it works on at least one of those guns well Right, yeah. so, so buy that first can, get it, do it all, run it on everything, but make sure it fits a gun well. Instead of having it be a jack-of-all-trades that doesn't really fit any of them. It's, it's hard for me because I'm just so competitive that I don't want, yeah, that, that just idea of the product or anytime we introduce something to the market, like I want it to be the best in, in category. And you can't always do that. You know, the hope is to do that. Um, but it's funny with the modular stuff, maybe even less than that. But when you talk about the trend the last few years of, um, you know, modular rear end mounts or caps and then front end caps and this sort of stuff, you know, even that bugs me some because it works so hard on, you know, with our muzzle taper, for instance, or the mounts, I want there to be as little point of impact shift and you get the best accuracy out of them and consistency. And I want them to be lightweight, but also want them to be durable. And then, you know, you get a, a we wire EDM, the silencers, which, you know, a lot of companies do now where it used to just be a couple of us back 10 years ago. But 
Um, I know some companies do that, but then they have thread end front end caps and rear end caps, and then you're getting the tolerance stack tolerance stacking, yeah. And then the cans, if you make it, try to make it as lightweight as all welded cans, you end up sacrificing structural integrity and cans blow down range and stuff like that. Um, so that that drives me crazy a lot too. I know the modular thing because we kicked it around in different ideas, and it's like, well. It's one of the reasons we sell our QD cans with a 5 Ace 24 muzzle device, and it comes with a uh, half 28 for your 556. Five, it's the most modular can there is. You can buy the Trash Panda, and you know, to me, that's practical modularity. You can shoot it on 556, five, 301 mag, 300 Norma mag, 308, 300 blackout, just having a different um, the muzzle device without sacrificing. Yeah, durability and alignment, these sorts of things. Huh. What do you think is going to be the next trend? What's going to be the the next popular trend? You know, silencers? as the as the market grows, I think there's more and more demand for integrals. And I think I, I mean I tell you, in a, the integral market. They, they were the stuff back in the day when I started with silencers. Like twenty-two muzzle cans were horrible, and they were loud on pistols. So integrals were. That's all that was sold, probably 10 to 1 over muzzle cans. And people don't realize it now, but muzzle cans got so good, you yeah. didn't really need integrals to be quiet anymore. Yeah, and I, but I, I think there's, to me, I've never been a fan of integrals. I just haven't. Because yeah. there are some different problems for integrals that regular, like, screw-on cans don't have to deal with. But it's a, they're starting to get some that actually, I don't know, are kind of appealing. You know, yeah. they look cool, dedicated to a single gun. I mean, I... I don't know. I, th- I think there's somewhere to go with that, and you avoid the SBR issue altogether. Yeah, yeah the, the SBR thing is cool. Um, that's been a great thing about the arm brace too. And to me, I hated the arm brace, for instance, because I thought it was lame. But then it's like, well, okay, ATF takes a year to do transfers. At yeah. some point, like I just had to surrender. Yeah. So did. let's make the arm brace awesome. That's right. And and so I'm back on that. But I think with integrals. One cool thing I like about, you know, me owning a silencer company, I love when you can tell a gun has a silencer, but an elegant thing about integrals is, you know, we can build guns to where it doesn't look like it's suppressed and it's just super quiet. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. We used to do these tricks. I had this this integral 1022 called the cloak a long time ago at advanced armament and I made a couple front end caps that were threaded half 28 because it was just a 920 bull barrel on a 1022 and we bored and um, recrowned the barrels and then put baffles in them so it was 16 inches overall and so on some of them we did a, a half 28 front end cap and I would do this great trick where people wouldn't know they were suppressed and I would have like a two inch long silencer and I would put on the end of that and then shoot it and be oh my god the quietest silencer ever you know it actually had like an 8 inch long silencer that's awesome yeah so um, it's, it's this magic pretty, technology yeah we, we really advanced alien technology we're using you know it's that it's that that free flow baffle whatever is current what do you see with that do you see a trend with that I know like, it's something OSS has pimped for a long time this no baffles free flow right flow through oh is that what it is yeah flow through flow through and you know I, I when I first heard of that and I thought oh, there might be something there and I, I tell you I 
and I hate to be down on any particular technology, but I've just never been sold on it. The big advantage of flow through is no blowback. So if you have a blowback problem, that's good. That's great. Good for you. But they're just not quiet. Yeah. Yeah, because the gas has to go somewhere. That's right. So it goes out into the atmosphere. Um, well, do you see a lot of customers asking for that? Like I guess who's that? There's a new company that's pushing that a lot. They have that very complicated looking uh, next gen. Next gen. Yeah. Do you, do you carry that? No. You don't. No. I, I, customers I, asking for the, the flow through stuff now much, yeah, or is that we, kind we of do. It, it's mostly like now. Even I don't know. I I just had a bad taste in my mouth. That first experience with it just didn't didn't impress me. Yeah. And it's hard for me to carry a product that I just, just don't believe in at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 